You're listening to Simperance Radio, episode number 150. And today we're uncovering one woman's story of disordered eating and how she finally found healing. Welcome to Simple Roots Radio with Alexa Sherm. Alexa believes that simplicity in life is the key to achieving true and lasting health. And now your host, Alexa Sherm. Welcome back to this podcast. As always, my name's Alexa. This is the place to get healthy, live happy, and find more joy. I'm so excited you're here, and I'm about to share with you one of my favorite interviews I have ever done. Now, today's story is on disordered eating and healing from that, and I think just her encouragement in general about mothering to girls and how we can be a women who aren't so focused on body positivity and body love and all these other good tidbits. I mean, she is a wealth of knowledge. Her name is Whitney Leone, and she's a listener of Simple Roots Radio. She wrote me an email, and we're going to tell the story a little bit more inside the interview, but she wrote me an email, and it, it really stuck out to me. And we started connecting and talking, and I just thought that she carried so much wisdom, and she's such a brave soul to get on and share her story. And I think it's really going to get hit home to so many of you because I think when we talk about disordered eating and eating disorders, it's it's not something that is talked about often. And yet so many people struggle with it. In fact, I would go along the lines to say that I think that we've all had some form of disordered eating at some point in our life, whether we struggle with it now or not. But I think in this day and age, it is harder and harder for us not to have some form of obsession with our bodies or with food because that's what we're taught. So anyways, Whitney has such great insight. I'm so proud of her for sharing her story and really putting it out there for the world. It is really fascinating. So you're going to want to stay tuned to hear more about her story and her advice to all of us. I learned so much and honestly, I secretly want to have her back on. Um, I hope I didn't scare her away. So hopefully we can have her back on to just dive into this topic a little bit more especially as we get into the Mindset Series this summer. And speaking of the Mindset Series, don't forget, it starts Monday with the first episode of Monday Motivation, where I also release the Mindset Diet Guide. So stay tuned to get your free guide called the Mindset Diet. It's going to help you all summer long to put into practice what we're talking about, to put application to the knowledge and make it work for you, to like really see that life change. I'm so excited. It's happening. So next week, we start with Monday Motivation, and then we're going to dive into disordered eating a little bit further, just in a solo episode that I have to share with you. Also, don't forget to get all the information from the shows and more about what's happening over on Simperitz Wellness and get involved in my emails over at SimperitzWellness.com. Again, sign up for those emails. I share so much more information, some cool tips and tricks that you can use, and really just my own journey, and I would love to connect with you there. Also, all the information on the show notes can be found at simperitswellness.com backslash 150. But for now, let's just get right to the show because it is so good. Welcome to the show, Whitney. This is like the first time I've done this with a listener of the show, and I'm super pumped to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Um, I'm going to admit I'm having a little bit of imposter syndrome because <laughs> I don't feel like I'm an expert in this area and um, I'm still working on my own recovery. So it's messy at times, but I guess, you know, I'm an expert at my own story and I see the value in kind of sharing our own messiness. So Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons I really wanted to have you on was because when we talked on the phone, 
after you had written me an email that really stuck out to me. And I really, I don't call people very often or ask to call them and talk to them on the phone after I get emails. And I get a lot of emails. Um, and you are just so genuine about about the subject. And and like I said, this is a subject when we're talking about disordered eating today. And it's not one that I've touched on a lot, but I recognize such a huge need in this space. And I would go as far to say is that whether you think you have disordered eating or not, and some people have it on a, a, a wide range of scales, right? From severe to maybe mild. But I think at some point we've all experienced some sort of disordered eating. And I'm just excited to have you on to share your story And I don't think it's necessarily about being an expert here, but I think living through it makes you the best expert. And and that's why I wanted to have you on because I can't do this subject justice to what someone else could. So thank you for being here and being vulnerable with us and sharing this. So with that being said, today we're talking about disordered eating. And like I said, I just am so excited to have someone on who's lived through it and who's working through it still and is courageous enough to be a voice for it. So Whitney, can you share some of your story with disordered eating? Sure. So my story actually starts really young. I had anxiety, um, obsessive compulsive disorder from a very young age. I was a checker. I was obsessed with numbers. Um, pretty typical OCD. Mm -hmm. Um, I was also very sensitive, very intuitive. I felt feelings from myself, from other people very strongly. Um, And I was also a perfectionist through and through. So I feel like all of these things combined, um, I didn't really have like the words or the understanding. I just felt very different. Mm -hmm. I felt very, you know, just outside of what I felt like was normal. And I had a ton of fear because of that. So I also grew up in a family that was um, very, well, very loving and supportive. Uh, They were very focused on diet and exercise Mm -hmm. and body, body size. Food and exercise had a very high moral value. I guess I should say from the, from the get-go that I've always had thin privilege. I've always been in a smaller body, but I just learned from a very young age that, being in a bigger body was bad somehow. Mm. Um, I think a lot of that was the environment that I was in. I think a lot of it was my brain chemistry and the mental illness that I was dealing with. But I feel like the development of my eating disorder was kind of based on just my fear that there was just something so fundamentally wrong, something so different about me. And I was just so fearful of kind of doing the wrong thing Mm -hmm. or being the wrong person. Mm -hmm. Um, I first started restricting and using exercise probably in middle school I say probably because um, I'm not quite sure I ever felt comfortable around food. I mean, I have very early memories of like asking my mom to serve my food when she would put like, you know, a family style in front of us and saying, serve yourself. Like I didn't trust myself to put the, Uh the right amount of food on my plate from a very young age. I probably met the DSM criteria for anorexia in high school. And like restriction felt like a high to me. I craved that feeling of emptiness. It was a, to this day, I always say, and this sounds awful, but like nothing numbed my anxiety, like, like, like starving myself did. So um, it just felt so good. I didn't mean to interrupt Uh, you, but no, that's fine. When we, when you talk about like, you know, you kind of started out saying like it was this immense fear and this anxiety, was that like in every area of life or was that specifically just centered around body image? Like, did you find yourself doing this with other things like relationships and like, or like, I'm just trying to understand, like, 
is disordered eating strictly about food and body image, or is it a much bigger encompassment? Like you said, you were just using food to numb that. Yeah, I think with my, in my case, I had anxiety about everything. Mm -hmm. I was a very fearful kid. I remember like having trouble sleeping and, and having strange fears for a very young kid to have. I remember having some social anxiety, like always just wanting, like I enjoyed the activities that I did as a kid, but I always just couldn't wait for them to be over so I could be home. Like Mm -hmm. it just felt like, you know, probably anxious for me to be out and doing things. And so, um, I think for some people, I would say that my, my eating disorder probably wasn't completely typical because I think some people it is very much focused on the weight, very much focused on just the, the uh, body image, but mine was definitely more of a manifestation of my obsessive compulsive disorder because, you know, with an mm-hmm. obsession over numbers, there's a lot that can get in there with food and exercise. Right, right, right. And then also just a way to kind of numb all the anxiety I was feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, the world of growing up, I mean, I even remember growing up, like we, we came from a very diet centric world, you know, like it was everywhere, yes. you know, like it was yes. hard to escape it. In the 80s, it, it was, uh, it, mm-hmm. I mean, 80s and, and 90s. Doing yeah. It. yeah. 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 So it was, it was much of a norm even. And so now that you're on this path to healing, it's incredibly hard to balance how to learn about health. And this is exactly why you wrote me was because yes. you, and you can tell the story better than I can, but like, essentially, like, I love learning about this and I love what you're doing, but how do I do this without obsessing about it? So what, what yeah. are you learning through this? I am learning that I think firstly, as I, I needed to really become aware of my own triggers and kind of set boundaries. Um, that was huge for me. I was never really big. I'm such a people pleaser, which I think mm-hmm. all of these things that I'm describing with my personality, I feel like when you look up like, you know, the type of person that would develop an eating disorder, I probably had all of those. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, I kind of had to like create this bubble and feed my inform- feed myself information that I knew I was going to benefit from. Mm-hmm. Um, I had, you know, this was probably not until after I had my kids. I had a really hard time after having my kids. I just felt like I was completely knocked off my feet. Um, my anxiety was sky high, which I think even people that don't experience anxiety, that is a very tough transition. Yeah. But once my kids were no longer babies, I like kind of... I felt so empty. I had so much going for me. I had, you know, I had a great supportive husband. I had brilliant, compassionate children. I had, you know, I had everything I had ever wanted, but I was still miserable. And Mm -hmm. I feel like that may have been my rock bottom. That may have been when I was just like, I need to do something. So Mm -hmm. I took a look about like kind of what I was consuming in terms of blogs and social media and, you know, even TV and, and really created just this bubble that had to be like very small in the beginning. I I unfollowed, you know, most of everyone on those things, except things that were focused on intuitive eating, on health at every size, on, you know, I listened to a ton of podcasts. I followed a lot of non-diet dietitians just to kind of like inundate myself with a whole nother way of thinking. Right. I think it's really important, you know, just for anyone to kind of take a really hard look at how much time they're spending on social media, how much it's impacting them, unfollow things that don't align with your values. And I find that now in my recovery, even I tend to toe the line with orthorexia. It's hard for me. And um, I guess I should define orthorexia as kind of an unhealthy obsession with the cleanliness of food mm-hmm. and it's not necessarily about weight, but it's, but it's still very restrictive. And I feel like that. Well, maybe um, 
okay for some, not like orthorexia is okay for some people, but while focusing on that, I just take it to extremes. I know that about myself. I just feel like it's so hard right now because, you know, this like wellness culture that we live in really focuses on, it's very culturally accepted. It's very normal. Like you were Mm -hmm. saying, like how dieting was normalized, now a focus on wellness wellness is very Uh normalized. I kind of had to develop like a a mantra, like a good for good for them and not for me. So Mm -hmm. like whenever I was triggered by something or like, you know, with it, you know, if it was food or exercise, I had to say like, okay, good for them, but that's not going to work for me. I, you know, like my Mm -hmm. background just makes it so much different. And I think like the biggest thing was the realization that, that health is so much more than food and exercise. I don't think I ever realized Yes. How important, you know, I needed to make room for things like mental and spiritual well-being. And I needed to reduce, you know, food and exercise, like their significance in my life to make room for focusing on sleep and stress management and my relationships. Um, and I think also I needed to develop hobbies outside of food and exercise and almost outside of now my recovery so that I, I had become very boring. Yeah. <laughs> I had nothing else to talk about because that my, my life had just become so small. And I think the biggest thing when, when balancing health is I think just listening to your own body. I think um, mm-hmm. you can find information to support or contradict anything <laughs> these right. days. And sometimes I feel like my head would spin because I was like looking for all this information to kind of support how I feel, but then I'd find something that, you know, that did not support that. But I have just had to really look inside myself to, you know, trust myself, trust my intuition, which is kind of like I said before, was the basis of my eating disorder was that I just had such a fear of myself, of being different. I didn't have that Mm self-trust. So I really had to work on that relationship and focus internally. I had been focusing on external cues my entire life. I had been focusing on mm-hmm. like the numbers, how long to exercise, what food to eat, what food not to eat, how much food to eat. But I had created such a disassociation with myself. I, when I first started recovery, I had no idea what I liked to eat. I had no idea how much I liked yeah. to eat. I had no idea what felt good in my body. So it's been a huge learning experience. Yeah. Yeah. I love everything that you're saying. And honestly, uh, you don't know this, but you have been a pivotal turning point in my own look at health and what I want to teach here on Simple Roads Radio. And not to give any spoiler alerts, but things are changing. And it's it's strictly because of the email that you wrote me and our phone call that we had. And like you have driven a passion in me like nothing else. And it, wow. <laughs> it really goes because I totally believe everything that you're saying is that in this health space, and I want to get your perspective of this in a second, but you know, like even me, like I'm taught to give and give and give and give all this information that's an external substitute for something that is so internal inside of us, right? Like do this mm-hmm. and you'll see results or do this. And and I feel like I've been in the last few years, like constantly towing this line of like, I'm not sure if I'm overstepping the line of just giving information to make someone do something in hopes to see results. But really what I want to do, and my, I think my passion all along is coming to this point of, it doesn't matter how much external things you change. The only thing that's going to matter is our mindset, right? Like kind of everything you're saying, like our spirituality, how we're thinking, all of that is really what changes the external and how we how we see results and, and getting an understanding of how we're listening to our body um, because everyone is so different. So while I could make a, 
a generalized statement of you should be doing this, the reality is it, it might not work for you. And it can become a huge frustration and a huge trigger instead of doing this internal work like you're talking about. And I think that internal work is the most critical thing that we could do for health. And I commend you for doing that because it has not been the way of health for forever, right? Like not right. focusing on your mental health and your relationships and the spiritual side of things. But um, I really believe like that is what's going to change people. <laughs> That's what's going to change us, I, right? I absolutely agree. I, I It has been such a journey and such a difficult journey at times, but the, it is incredibly rewarding when mm-hmm. you kind of are able to put all of that aside. It felt like, so, you know, so much baggage aside and to be like, wow, I can really trust myself. And I know, like, I know deep down what's going to be best for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, there's just so much contradicting information. You know, like the other day I was doing some research on something and I was like, you can find stuff on both ways. You know, some people found a benefit from this and some people it was terrible for them. And, right. and I'm like, it just, again, it goes back time and time again to show that it's what, what happens inside your body is so different from someone else. And again, the mindset behind that, we have to come to a space where we can be okay with that. And that that's a really hard space. You know, like sometimes I think making all these changes, quantifying things is so much easier than the work that you've been doing to try and change the internal being of who you are. You know, like to bring up the hard things and to go in the past and to do the healing that needs to be done. Like it's easy to quantify, like to just count things, right? Like, or to set a standard of time on something it's a lot harder to go back and dig up some of the past hurts and to really find yourself again. So I commend you for for doing that work and to being a voice to how that work can make a difference. So the question is, obviously, you've looked at a lot of health information and me being a health expert, you know, like I have a hard time finding this line. What is your advice to me or someone who's sending out tons of health information to avoid making it obsessive for someone else? That's a big question. <laughs> it's a big question. I'm not sure I have a, a great answer. You know, I think I, I think I per, I believe in you know because your you know your information is not entirely eating disorder focused. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think it's important as listeners and consumers of information just to have a personal responsibility for recognizing what's going to be safe for you and what's not. Like I know when I start, you know, looking at something, I have gotten to the point in my recovery or listening to something that I will like exit out if I'm like, okay, nope, this is not for me. And I guess maybe much earlier on in recovery, I would say that probably just staying in those eating disorder recovery, very, very small um, bubble is probably, you know, the safest. Mm -hmm. But um, I mean, I think what's been really important for me is kind of recognizing, recognizing the culture that we're living in and kind of recognizing my own like fat phobia, my own personal Mm -hmm. biases, my own triggers, my own struggles. Um, And I think if everyone could, could take a really good hard look at themselves and just say like, oh, wow, like this is kind of where I am. I am working from. Mm-hmm. I think it would be a little bit of a safer environment, but um, I mean, like I said, I don't. I, this is such a hard question because, I, yeah. like you, you said, what works for some people don't work for others, mm-hmm. and I feel like um, I don't know. Maybe avoiding the allure of quick fixes, mm-hmm. avoiding um, trends 
I feel like, you know, there's always a new trend, always a new, Mm -hmm. I think taking a step back, you know, and like, I feel like is the voice of, you know, what, where you're coming from is kind of going back to a very simplistic view of what health is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I think like you mentioned in your story, it's, it's doing the work of knowing your body, you know, like, like you Mm -hmm. said, I think that we can become people who don't even realize how our body feels. I mean, I see it all the time of, you know, like, were you hungry here? Um, how did this make you feel? Like, how are you feeling at home in your relationships? Like, a lot of people can't even <laughs> define that. No. And I think I've had a hard time in that space as well, because I think it's so easy to suppress who we are to become what we think we need to be. And that's a really dangerous place to put ourselves, you know, it, to, to, to more. It is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like um, maybe short term, there would be some, you know, some happiness or some pride. But I think not being your authentic self ultimately is going to lead to uh, a lot of discontent, a lot of discomfort, a lot of either, you know, physical problems or mental health problems. I think like ultimately, if you're not being totally true to yourself, it's going to show up uh-huh. in the long term. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it takes some work to get yourself to love yourself. Um, and I think that's work that is all worth doing. So speaking of loving yourself, my next question is, what is your take on the body positivity movement? <sighs> I, have a, I, have, I have a couple feelings of the body positivity movement. Like, <laughs> uh, like I said, I, am, I truly believe that all bodies are good bodies. I've had to really, um, like the health and other, every size movement is just basically, it says, you know, it's just saying like, we can't judge people on their bodies. Like we need mm-hmm. to treat everyone the same regardless. Do I think it's realistic to love our bodies? And do I think that's even something that we should strive towards? No, I don't. Yeah. I think that we can accept our bodies. I think um, perhaps the ultimate goal would maybe just to take an emphasis off our bodies altogether and focus on the value yes. that we can bring to the yes. world. Yes, yes, I mean, okay. I think right now we are focusing so much on this external, how we appear to other people and not, not really looking deep inside and saying like, well, what is my, like, what do I want to, how do I want to make people feel? Or what do I want to leave as my legacy? Mm-hmm. Um, for the longest time, I feel like I gave all the attention to my body. I had nothing left to give anyone. And I think that's also part of my rock bottom was when I realized I wasn't being present with my kids. I wasn't being present with my friends or my husband. I was just completely consumed in my head with all of these thoughts um, and that was heartbreaking to me. I think that especially with young kids, like I, I wanted to be there even when it was hard. I didn't want to numb out. I didn't want to, you know, be anxious about, you know, if I didn't exercise hard enough that day or, um, but once I committed to recovery and I was able to reprioritize my time and my energy, I have felt so much more at peace and Mm -hmm. it, it is so much less about my body now than, um, than before. But that, that to me is like my definition of body positivity. It's not, I certainly don't walk around like I love my body. (laughs) Um, but I've just kind of accepted it and I, I'm choosing to focus on more the value (laughs) that I want to bring to others and the world. Yeah. Yeah. And the only reason I've asked that question was because I feel like the body positivity image, while I think they were trying to move it in a positive way. Obviously, I feel like it's the new diet mask, <laughs> like this external right. thing, like it's an external point, again, that people have to focus on rather than the internal. And so I, I agree 100% with what you said, like it becomes another external trigger 
where it can be an outward focus rather than the inward focus and another dangerous place. And so I wondered from the perspective of someone who's been working through disordered eating, is it again, just another trigger? I think so. I mean, I think that taking a step back and just being like, okay, cool. We're all humans. We all have bodies. Like they're right. all different. <laughs> they're all great. Uh, let's just move on. Like, let's just, yeah. so yeah, I like, I certainly, um, like I, I mentioned, like I had to really curate my search social media. And I know for a lot of people following like tons of different bodies uh, is really healthy for them. And it really helps the recovery for me. Just kind of taking the emphasis off of that entirely has mm-hmm. been the most helpful. Yeah. 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 I totally see where you're going with that. Um, and I totally agree. It's still got to be that inward focus. Okay. So being a young female, when you started this journey, a, a young girl, do you have any advice for parents who are raising up young girls? You know, how can we help them walk a different path? <sighs> raising kids is so hard <laughs> right now. And my kids are still young. Um, I thought raising babies were hard, but man, every year I am, I am realizing how much harder, um, it it becomes. So, you know, my daughter's only four right now and she has a pretty great, confident personality. And it is heartbreaking to me to, to, you know, not even, you know, that, that she's growing up in this culture that I grew up in. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the most important thing is to create an environment that is supportive, that's accepting. Um, my husband and I, we do not diet. We do not talk about our bodies negatively. Um, if we do talk about our bodies or if the kids bring it up, it's very objective. Like this is my body. Uh-huh. This is the body I was given. It's almost like I would talk about my height or my shoe size. Like it's just, it is what it is. Like this is what I was given and I'm, I'm grateful for that. Mm-hmm. Um, we kind of have an all foods fit philosophy and we really try to give them a ton of autonomy in um, what tastes good to them, how much they want to eat. We don't talk about foods being good or bad. We talk about, we talk about how foods feel in our bodies and how things make us feel, but that, you know, like food is part of our world that's meant to be enjoyed. Like we, we bring a lot of enjoyment to it. We involve them a ton in cooking. They're in the kitchen with us all the time. I feel like, you know, we don't own a scale. We, uh, we also, we really support we try to support their interests and their intuitions. Even, you know, sometimes as parents, when you kind of feel like your kids, like, oh, let me see if I can describe this the right way. Like, you know, saying something, but not really meaning that, you mm-hmm. know, at six and four, there's sometimes a lot of that going on, but we really try to like um, encourage their trust in themselves. You know, if they're feeling a certain way, we try to, you know, really sit with them, let them sit with that. We try to teach them to, um, with their feelings that their feelings aren't something that needs to be like numbed it doesn't make them different or there's something wrong with them and I you know I guess we're also I'm really honest with them we've always shown them a lot of respect which I think sometimes hard is you know also being a parent and you know having boundaries for them but also you know respecting them respecting their wishes respecting um, their boundaries Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I mean, I think also like the most important thing is just recognizing that our kids are looking to us to gain an understanding of how they fit into the world. So like we are their best role models. And mm-hmm. I hope that, I hope that my daughter sees me, um, sharing my story, accepting my body, nourishing myself, setting boundaries with other people, practicing self-care. Um, I hope that she sees all that so that one day when she doubts herself, which I know she's mm-hmm. going to, I mean, right. that is not something that I'm ever going to be able to avoid. 
that she will feel. I hope she'll know where to start. Like, I hope she'll know that or be able to have seen someone that like has paved that path of like, okay, like this is uncomfortable, but I know how to walk through it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we are the biggest influence in our kids' lives and they see through everything. You know, I'm, I'm a mom of three girls and I think about this question all the time. Um, and I agree with what you said, you know, like I'm a big believer in teaching. How does your body feel? You know, like it's not about good or bad foods, but just how, how different things make us feel. I mean, like you said, being able to sit in those feelings and understand them and being able to explore with food. I think that is something that's so important um, and powerful. So I love, I love what you said. And I think you gave a lot of great points for any parent who's out there who's questioning also how to do this as well. So with that being said, what is one thing you wish all young girls could know about their bodies and their minds? Oh, I, I guess I would have to say that um, you do not have to fit this narrow beauty ideal that our, <laughs> our diet culture holds. I feel like not only do you not have to, but that it's very unrealistic and probably unhealthy for the vast majority of people to, yeah. to attain that. And that there's so many other things that make you beautiful, that make you interesting, that, that you can kind of add. I always talk to my kids about like how they're making other people feel and um, just that it's up to us to bring good into the world. Mm -hmm. And, you know, focusing on body, I, I, I mean, I did it for you know, 30 plus years. I never really felt like, you know, <laughs> I never really felt like it brought anything good right. to right. the world. So, yeah. um, and I think also like, instead of treating your body like an idol, like maybe treat it like a vehicle, how to live out your best life. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you got to take care of it. You got to treat it well and feed it well so that you have the energy um, and the capacity to go do great big things. Mm -hmm. And just, I guess, that the most important relationship that I guess you can probably have is, is with yourself. Um, and then it's important to spend time nourishing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I wish I had known all those things right? <laughs> growing up. Yeah. <laughs> right. Just to have them reinforced into our minds when we're young and in the formative years. Mm -hmm. I mean, just that you had to come to all this on your own in your own journey, which is not necessarily bad. But like, like you said, how many years of your childhood could have been different? Sure. And it was painful. Mm -hmm. it, while, while I'm grateful for the journey, there was a ton of pain and mm -hmm. a ton of fear. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So there are a lot of people listening who are in their own you know, in the thick of their own disordered eating, what, what encouragement do you have to them today? Um, I guess I would say that there's another way to think about food and exercise and self-worth. I would encourage um, them to immerse themselves in intuitive eating and health at every size and allow, I think, allow yourself to sit with that information even if you're not ready to make changes yet. I, I spent years probably just kept, you know, I kept coming back to it. I kept thinking like something in me was pulling while, while there was still like a heavy eating disorder pull on one side, I kept saying like, wow, that's kind of like something just speaks to me here. Mm -hmm. I need to keep coming back to this. And eventually I was ready. Mm -hmm. I think even if you, you know, read the book or, you know, look at a web, you know, a uh, web page and you're like, okay, like, you know, that sounds great for someone else, but that'll never be a reality for me. I, I would say just keep coming back to that and just know that, I guess, just give yourself grace. I mean, mm -hmm. eating disorders are a severe mental illness. Um, get the help that you need and that understand that I think that recovery is not a linear process. It is mm -hmm. messy. Mm -hmm. It is, it is 
you know, challenging eating disorder behaviors is hard because, you know, I think you touched on this a bit, but you're forced to feel what you've been numbing for the mm-hmm. past however long that you've been using those behaviors. So I feel like I felt really good in my eating disorder and I feel really good in my recovery. But that time in between was so uncomfortable mm-hmm. because I was yeah. being forced to feel all these things that I had just never had the coping mechanisms, you know, I had never developed other coping mechanisms because this one works great for me until it didn't. So that is the hardest part. Uh So know that I know that it's possible, but that you'll need a lot of support and a lot of perseverance along the way. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have any specific resources that really helped you or... Uh, you know what I, I have, I, this is interesting because I never received formal treatment for my eating disorder. When I was in high school, I was, like I said, I fit the DSM criteria for anorexia. I was extremely underweight before I left for college. I was somehow able to just gain some weight. I, I thinking, I don't think I was seeing, you know, I've seen multiple therapists uh, throughout the years, but I don't think I even saw one at that time. But I think that's crucial because I think sometimes like everyone was like, okay, great. She is there. But Mm -hmm. I was then tortured for my entire early adulthood with probably even, you know, I always said like in the beginning of my eating disorder when I was very underweight was not nearly as painful as the mental torture Mm -hmm. that I then, once I was weight restored, the thoughts and the, the, the feelings and the behaviors, they were all still there. So I think it's important also to realize that like, you know, anyone can have like eating disorder behaviors. You don't have to look a certain way. You don't have to, you know, you could be in any size body and still be experiencing just as much trauma from eating disorder thoughts and behaviors. Uh So I know you have a heart for this. And honestly, you just have a great heart in general. Like, let's be real. (laughs) But what is your advice to all of us living in the world of physical appearance that we do? I mean, I think it's going to go back to just, like, try to accept and love yourself exactly as you are right now. I Mm -hmm. feel like uh, we don't need to change in order to be worthy of self-love. We don't need to hustle you know, I yeah. feel like also part of my, um, it's not even an eating disorder behavior, but it goes along with the behaviors of like constantly staying busy. I think just like recognizing, okay, like where am I trying to avoid yeah. Yeah. feeling what I probably need to be feeling right mm-hmm. now? Busyness is a big one for me, or even just like not letting myself ever like sit and be quiet, like, which is not easy to do, you know, in a house full of kids and homework and activities, but it's real easy to just keep piling it on. And, or even like when you do have five minutes to spare, like, Oh, maybe I should vacuum up these crumbs rather than just like sit and feel whatever I'm feeling right now. I mean, I think I was stuck in the victim mentality for so long. I was just waiting for someone to come rescue that scared little girl that was trapped inside of me that, um, I once was, and I think I finally realized once my kids were out of the baby stage that being a martyr was benefiting absolutely no one, mm. and especially not me, um, that I could nurture and provide myself the safety that I was so desperate for. Like, I think once I realized, like, wow, everything I ever needed, I can provide myself that, that changed everything for me. Mm-hmm. So I think just, again, looking inward you know, avoiding those external validations that 
you know, we all tend to gravitate towards and just focusing on be it's, it's almost a deprogramming of everything we've ever learned or been told or been taught and just focusing inward. Right, right. Right. Yeah. I like that a lot. Wow. You have been such a wealth of information and such an encouragement. Like even to me, like I said, this story has really changed me for the better and um, has given me a new passion for what I do here at Sumbaruts. So I really thank you for honestly just reaching out and being willing to share your story here. Well, I appreciate you so much for providing the platform. I I think this is also very interesting because while I have been so consumed by all of this for almost my entire life, I am very private about it. So I think a lot of people are going to be very surprised. Um, but I think I'm at the point where I'm like, I'm so ready to share uh-huh. my story. Like I, I want to... Um, if I can influence anyone that's either struggling, you know, on any level, on any part of that continuum to, you know, kind of take a step back and realize that there's a lot more out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love to be that catalyst. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, um, I'm so proud of you for, for doing this. And like I said, being that voice. So thank you so much for being brave and doing this. And I think it's part of the healing journey too, is just, uh, to help other people in what you've gone through. And so I know that this is going to bring so much information and encouragement to so many people. So again, thank you so much. But before we go, I do have a few quick fire questions that I ask everyone. And so I thought it'd be fun to ask you as well. So first up, what is the first thing you do every morning for your health? It doesn't have to be specific to food or exercise, but just like your health overall well-being in general. Yes. I wake up before my kids wake up, mm. uh, which yeah. is not always easy because, you know, I am, I feel like I'm still sleep deprived, even though my kids are four and six, but, um, I always set an alarm. They have clocks in their room that they know they're like, I've set a boundary. You're not allowed down until this time. Like they know mom needs her time in the morning before I'm just inundated with noise and needs and taking care of other people. Um, I always take a little bit of time for myself just to kind of ease into the day. Uh huh. Yeah. I like that. There is nothing worse. I feel like than wake like your kids waking you up. Uh. <laughs> I feel like I'm a, I'm a better human when I just wake up before my kids, but like you oh, said, yeah. it's easier, especially now that the time changed again, I am just struggling to get up when it's so dark outside again. Um, yeah, but yeah, I love that. Okay. What is your favorite book? Like in the health space, mindset space, healing space. Anything like that? Yes, like, what is I your... have two. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm gonna say that Intuitive Eating mm-hmm. by Evelyn Triboli and Elise Rush was yeah. monumental in my recovery. It's um, a great. I book. would say anyone, uh-huh. anyone, not even someone that thinks that they may not struggle with food and exercise. I feel like it's important to read that book. Um, but then also, there's one that's more eating disorder recovery focused called Eating in the Light of the Moon by mm-hmm. Anita Johnson. Um, it's kind of like talks about eating disorders through myths and metaphors, which I picked it up a very long time ago, early in my recovery and was like, Nope, this is not for me. And recently reread it. And it was just so eye opening. And it kind of introduced me to the concept of, um, it talked about how um, eating disorders are sometimes an imbalance of feminine and masculine energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just such an interesting way of looking at kind of the imbalance that I have experienced my entire life. So mm-hmm. that's a really great one too. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't read that one. I've read the intuitive eating, which is fantastic, but I'll link both of those up mm-hmm. in the show notes. Okay. What is one product that you're loving? Oh, I am a, such a minimalist. 
this is embarrassing because my <laughs> product arsenal is like um, three different things. <laughs> three different things. That's the best. Um, I am, I, uh, but I would say that this is going to sound bad because I don't even know the name of it, but I just tried a new mascara that, oh. <laughs> that, uh, I'm trying to think of a better answer than that. No, it's perfect. I mean, everyone wants to know good makeup, right? Yeah, yeah. Except I don't even know the name. So I can't even give you a good good recommendation. (laughs) But again, yes, no, I'm not a product. I am a very simple. I probably use about four things. Uh, That's awesome. I'm kind of of more on the lines of that, too. Um, And the last question is, what is the best piece of advice you've received or can leave us with? I think maybe the, I think receiving from a therapist once the permission, I don't know why I felt the need to have external permission, but just to be gentle and patient with myself. And that has stuck with me that whenever I'm feeling a certain way or kind of feeling this, you know, eating disorder fears or thoughts creep in, I try to remind myself to give myself permission to be gentle with myself, that Mm -hmm. I don't need to be a perfectionist anymore. Um, like this, that concept was so foreign to me to, to be gentle with myself and, you know, realize that I'm unpacking 35 years of thoughts and feelings and beliefs that, Mm -hmm. you know, had been so, um, impactful to me. And that's going to take time. Mm -hmm. Like change is possible, but I need to kind of give myself some grace and allow it to take time and allow myself to make some mistakes along the way. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's my best advice to others is just give yourself permission to be gentle and patient with yourself. Yeah. I like it. So good. Whitney, this has been the best. I really appreciate you being here and I can't wait for everyone else to hear it. So thank you so much for sharing this. Thank you for having me. Do you see what I mean? I mean, so good, right? Whitney is such a brave soul for being willing to share that and to branch out and to open up, even though she really hasn't told her story to other people. So thank you so much for sharing. I think that there is such great power in voicing kind of those demons, those past hurts and traumas that we've had in our life and letting them out so that we can grow. I was thinking about this and there's so much information coming out about the the effects that we have when we released past hurts and traumas and when we let them go, then we can be filled up with good. There's some thought that some people are just so full of so many past hurts and so many past traumas and negativity that there is no room for positivity and that we have to be a vulnerable people who can actually come to a place where you can voice this. Now, that's a scary thing to think about telling someone else some of these past hurts and convictions that we have. But there is true healing there. So I would encourage you, if you have a story of your own, start journaling that. We're going to talk about the power of journaling coming up on another Monday Motivation. But honestly, there is such great power in journaling. I was a former journal hater, like fully hated writing and journaling of any kind. But I do it every day. Like there is so much power in it for my own life. And I've found so much healing and just being able to record this journey and remember it as I go. And so if you have a story, if you have past convictions that you've never told anyone, if you have things that you want to let out that you will never tell anyone, start journaling it. Let it out of your mind and onto paper, even if you crumple up that paper and burn it so no one can ever see it. But that's the first step. And if you want to take things to another level, I think there is even more power in voicing that to someone else. 
to just letting it out and letting them help you on this journey. Remember, no one's going to fix you. You have to make that choice. But there is true power in doing this in a community. And I hope to be that community. So if you have a story and you want to share it with me, please send me an email. I read every single one. And who knows, maybe you can be a guest on Simper's Radio and share your own story. I don't know about you, but I think that was so insightful. Just everyday people living this life and seeking health on the other side. So I hope it was an encouragement to you. I thank Whitney again so much for being here. And like I said over and over, I am so encouraged by her and her story. So again, to get all the details on today's show, make sure you head on over to simpertswellness.com backslash 150. While you're there, sign up for my email list. You will be the first to get that free mindset diet guide that's coming out next Wednesday. You're going to want to get it. It's going to be a good thing. And it's going to help you transform your mind and your life into true and lasting healing. So anyways, next week, come back here on Monday for our first episode of Monday Motivation. And then next Wednesday for a very special solo episode, diving a little bit further into disordered eating. In the meantime, here's to having the best week.